Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we're at Prognet in the basement. The rooms here mm. in London are named after keys on the keyboard. Yes. So they, they actually have a bar out front with coffee and wine and beer and stuff, and it's called the Space Bar. Nice. And then they have rooms Control, Alt, Shift, <laughs> and we're in the room in the back of the building, and it's called... Backspace. Backspace. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good little room. You know? It's the backspace. Yes, it's, it is the backspace. It's really cool. It's correctly named. Yeah, it's cool. So we're having fun here. Clemens uh, Vasters, our old friend, is here. He was doing a, a keynote, and uh, we'll probably be talking to him about what he was talking about, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, but before we do any of that, Uh-oh. we have this little matter of better know a framework. Uh-huh. Roll the music. <laughs> All right, dude, what do you got? Well, in honor of our German friend, Mm. I have some software that you can connect to your BMW to do all sorts of diagnostic stuff. Oh, my. If you've never done this before, there's a standard computer jack that all cars come with now. And I have a NavD heads-up display. So this connects to that thing, and it's very standard. And this is diagnostic software. It's BMW GT1 diagnostic software. It's about 40 pounds, or at least that's where it starts. And it works with just about every model of BMW. And here's what it says. This software package enables you to unlock the mysteries of your BMW's comprehensive diagnostic and complex electrical control systems and carry out virtually all of the tasks, which would normally only be possible by making a trip with the car to a BMW dealer, including resetting service intervals and reading and diagnosing stored error codes. Cool. However, this diagnostic software is far more than just an error code reader. And I'll let you read the rest. That's cool. 1484.pwop.me. And there's just, if if you get this for one reason, one reason only, it's to check the error codes before you go to Jiffy Lube. Right. You know what I'm saying? Or go for maintenance. Or go for maintenance. And when they say, yeah, you know, it's about time for you to uh, change your transmission. Yeah. And you're like, oh, really? That's not what my computer told me this morning. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just just to be more informed of what's going on in your car. Cars have serious computers in them these days. They are computers with wheels. We just forget. Yeah. Up to 40 microcontrollers. Yeah. Wow. And and so this app being a car specific, this, this standard jack. Yeah. has been in cars since 1997 because mm-hmm. right. it had to be... Uh, ODB2, is that what it's called? Yeah, ODB2, that's what yeah. it is. And, and, but the standard set is actually very constrained because mm. it's only for emission control. Right. Mm. And so, and then every manufacturer has their own secret thing. So, the these apps go and specialize on particular manufacturer because you can go and read the... You can get those codes from the manufacturer handbooks. Right. Yeah. But there's no big set where you can get them all. And no. it's also good because sometimes an idiot light will come on and you have no idea what it means. No, it's yes. like engine, right? It could, yeah, that's a, yes. it could be a million things. It could be a million things, yeah. right? Yeah. So there it is. That's cool, man. Yeah. In honor of Clemens. So who's talking to us? Grabbed a comment off show 1242, which is the last show we did with Clemens called Messaging is Forever. Back in January of 2016, got a few comments on the show. This one's from Mark Janos, who says, hey, Clemens, thanks for the great show. We were there too, man. (laughs) (laughs) It was excellent to hear someone who understands both industrial protocols and web messaging and is working to bridge the gap between them. Mm. Although I agree with Carl that legacy industrial protocols do have security issues, we need to remember that until five years ago, 
and this is two years ago, right? Because last time you were on, we were only dealing with on-premises databases. And as a 20-year veteran of manufacturing and industrial automation, I'm super excited about public cloud and the possibilities opened up by centralized data assets. Looking forward to more shows on IoT messaging as the space evolves. Yeah. Well, very nice. Thank you, Mark. Kind, kind words. Got to say them directly to Clemens. And uh, yeah, we're pretty excited about all this too. But we were just, when we did our talk this week about the development landscape, we kind of said less about IoT than we normally do. And right. one of the points was, I, f- I feel like we're currently in the, n- IoT is no longer new and shiny. It is work you have to do. Yeah. And we're doing the work. Yeah. And yes. so it's not a lot of sexy going on. It's just doing work. Yes. And, uh, and I, I like that. That shows the evolution and the maturing of a marketplace. Mm. So, Mark, thank you so much for your comment at .NET Rocks Mug. It's on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks Mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. We calibrate them for maximum superiority. <laughs> I thought it was minimal emissions, but okay. <laughs> I've been calibrating them wrong. <laughs> All right. And uh, to formally introduce Clemens, Clemens Vasters is a product architect for the Azure messaging platform, which includes service bus in the cloud, as well as Azure event hubs. He and his team also created Azure event grid, which we just talked to Dan about, Azure notification hubs and Azure IoT hub. Those are uh, now with dedicated teams within Microsoft. He's participating in several standardization efforts, including guiding Microsoft's messaging engagement strategy in Oasis, and great band, by the way. And he is a <laughs> member of the OPC UA Working Group and the OPC Foundation's Technical Advisory Council, Welcome back. Hello, Carl. Hey. Hello, Richard. Dude, that's a lot of hubs. How many hubs do we need? Why so many hubs? <laughs> What's up with all the hubs? <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of hubs. Um, so, the gri- well, now we have a grid. And yeah. you have a grid, too. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, the, the hub is, is comes out of... The, the naming is something that we are involved in, but we don't have necessarily a say in. But, but, you but know, yeah, we have a lot of stuff. Right. Very experienced in naming things. I, I have I, yes, indeed, and I have meanwhile decided that naming discussions are discussions that I don't really want to participate. Yeah, in. That's fine. <laughs> I don't you guys blame you. Just let me know what you come up with. Yeah, yes, yes. I, I will. I will go if if they come out out of the fight with three proposals. I will probably vote for one, but I don't want to be a part of the fight. <laughs> right. Yeah, get it down um, to the three. I'll happily weigh the, in. Yes, then. because so, yeah. So we we talked about this with Dan a little bit, but maybe you can shed some light on it. These things happen in progression, and based on what exactly? Based on the current technology that Microsoft has to offer, based on architectural design, all of those things. I mean, why why do we have all these? options now for sending a message yeah so we have uh, let, let me enumerate the options that we have so there's outside of our team there's azure queues so that's part of storage uh, we have service bus with uh, pub sub and queues um, there's event hubs event grid now as a new thing we have the relay it's bridging connections and then also we have uh, the iot hub specifically for device connectivity um, we have logic apps that also moves data around um, mm. in workflows and connects out to other systems mm. azure functions might be a part of that azure functions is that's kind of the of the, 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 the far end compute part of that yeah right so logic apps has to kind of this dual function of being a compute host in a way, but also moving data around. Yeah. So yeah, so there are all these different options and there's a motivation for having every one of those. And if you ask, like, how do you get there? It's um, 
typically through observation of what customers do. Right. And a lot of conversations that we have, and, and often it's through support incidents mm. or and support incidents not in the in the in the sense of something broke but customers come to us mm. and, and this is a, a great function of the azure portal site mm. then if you have a problem or if you are not sure how to solve something you can always raise a service request with us and and you'll get help mm. and that happens we have very skilled folks who are doing that support work every day and who know the product really well so they'll help but then if some someone comes with something that's outlandish as a request, I need to hold a terabyte of data in a queue and I need to drain it within 30 minutes. Uh, we've, wow. heard, we've heard things like this. <laughs> Scary. Then you can't dismiss it as crazy, but you have to go and start asking why that's so. Sure. Like, why why, you are, that? why well, are you asking something that is so special? Well, I think that's the Microsoft response to just about everything that's, you know, I want to do this. The question is, why would you want to do that? You know, and that's a great question because now you, you're getting their intent, yes. which is really something they may not be upfront about. So the, the journey, for instance, towards IoT Hub started with the notion of how can I go and get th the getting data from devices is yeah, pretty standard. Pretty it's well pretty known. standard, yeah. right? Because you come in and you have a queue, and now we have these ingesters in the form of event hubs, and then in, in, in other spaces, Kafka, and you just drive the data in. The harder problem was, how do I get commands back to the devices? Yeah. And we've done an initial prototype, or I've done that, uh, called Reykjavik, which was, um, how do you configure Service Bus to be that channel to the devices? Right. And the reason why we needed a, a queuing mechanism for this was motivated by thinking about automotive cases. Mm -hmm. And automotive in that case was a fairly concrete um, discussion that was had with um, a car manufacturer. Yeah. And cars are made in very large numbers. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and the problem that was there to be solved was, you know, cars go into tunnels and they lose coverage. Right. Um, they need to queue up that data. Right. And, and you need to, if you send a message to a car that you can't rely on the connection being stable. Sure. Yeah. So it needs to come and reconnect and basically get this message back. While it is connected, it should be lowest possible latency, yep. but you should be able to queue up that message. So we need to have something that is a, a queue-like thing. Sure. Interesting side note. I noticed there's a the tunnel in Boston on the Mass Pike that goes under the bay right. to Logan Airport. They must have antennas or yeah, something they have that a cell, what's called a cell cable yeah, cell cable at, yeah. a, at a relay because i never lose no, anything i've, I've had a conversation in a taxi yeah coming out of the airport going under this under the bay yeah <laughs> I, mean, I was talking to my mother I'm like yeah mother i am underwater right now yeah it's amazing <laughs> so i'm still talking to you she's like yes. we live in a science fiction novel so so it's cool you get that in places like boston but not every place is that's so right yeah fortunate it, but it became pretty clear very quickly that service bus is the wrong vehicle for this because mm. we need little queues and we don't need big queues and if you make, make a service bus queue or a service bus subscription you get you know five gigabytes of storage with it and it has all these transactional features and you don't need any of those right so we started with a prototype the prototype was uh, fairly successful in that it actually ended up being uh, used in or, or still actually is used in production in some places right mm -hmm. but i got to think when you start to scale all that extra yes. stuff becomes costly mm. yes yeah, so we needed we needed to have something that could easily do 10 million of these little device queues. Sure. Different problem. Different problem. And now that that causes a new service to emerge because right. now you need to go and build a, you need to build something that's custom for that right. particular purpose. Sure. Right. Now for Grid, that 
Dan talked about in the prior episode that if you haven't downloaded and heard that yet, you should certainly do that. Mm -hmm. Definitely. That was uh, show 1478 published September 21st. So for that, we had yet another challenge. And the challenge is that we're now doing a, a push to a function or to a webhook. And, but again, we have a reliability problem there. It's a different reliability problem because it's not that the connection breaks, but that you're pushing to a target and that target might be overloaded, unavailable, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So we have queues also in that new thing, but it, so in that push system that holds messages for 24 hours while we're trying to go and deliver that message. Right, yeah. In the ideal case, the message gets into the system and gets pushed out within a few milliseconds. But in the case that that target is unresponsive or gives us a too busy error, we have to go and keep it. And so that gets stored durably, reliably replicated in that whole fabric. And that's mm -hmm. something that you'd never see because you think of a push thing as being something that's straight through, yeah. right. but it's not. So but that required yet another completely different thing to be built. Huh. It sounds so logical and reasonable when I hear you explain it, the differences, but I, how, how do people figure this stuff out? Besides listening to you speak. So, what we're trying to educate. Yeah. I have a bit of a text on. So, let's start with the intent. Like, yeah. or let's start with, with what a message is and why you, why you send it. And then maybe we can, uh, we can work out how that maps to various services. Okay. So, I try to make that easy. A message can hold... You send that with, with some intent. You can group those messages. You yeah. have commands. You have requests. Mm. You have queries. You have jobs that you hand off to someone and assign them you have transfers of control where you have done a piece of a work of a workflow yeah, and you hand that off over to the next microservice that yeah, does that you have the facts you report you have uh, log info that you write you have events in the in the sense of uh, um, discrete activities that happen that you want to go and report out. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's a lot. Of, as Paul Simon said, there must be 50 ways to send a message. <laughs> yes, and there certainly are. So, yeah. we can put some structure on this. And sure. there's two broad categories. There's one category that we can call intents, which have a, which you send with an expectation that another party fulfills some contract. Mm. The, the other party is doing something. So you send a command, you expect that something happens. Mm -hmm. You transfer control and you expect that something happens. It may not feed back to you, but right. you're expecting that t action is taken based on the message that you sent. Right. right. So these are, let's call them intents for a moment. The other things are all facts that happened mm -hmm. in your system that you simply report out. Right. You report them out to create transparency and to also provide the ways for others to extend the functionality that you're already providing. Mm. But you have no expectations that something happens. Mm -hmm. yeah. So there's if You don't know who's listening and you're not responsible for who's listening. Yes, and you don't care. Right. And with intents, like a transfer of control, you may also not know, like as the program may not know who's receiving, who's receiving it, right. but the system owner who configures the system will know. Right. With an event, the system owner may not know initially, sure. but then may go and add things things later. Right, but, that's, but that's part of the strength of that model, right? Yeah. Is that it, it is very tolerant to modification. Yes. So, mm -hmm. you have, so let's, let's, so first split is intense facts. Right. Mm -hmm. So, intense is what I call broadly messaging. That's all service bus territory. Right. And then there's some of that in IoT Hub where you have, you know, you send commands to devices, mm. you have these interactions, but again, 10 million queues. Yep. 
Mm-hmm. So IoT Hub is very special because of that scale point. Right. But the rest of, of all the intense messaging, I would say, is mostly I, uh, service bus territory and then obviously also logic apps territory yeah, right. because they do workflow coordination and all these right, things. Right. And then that's the other part is the, the distribution of facts. And, f- and, and events are messages that carry facts. They're, okay, they're right. Events are facts in motion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those also fall into two groups. You have discrete events that tell you something like a light bulb on off discrete right. activity then you may measure since we're talking about light bulbs the temperature of the light bulb mm-hmm. how healthy that thing is temperature vibration are kind of the base sensors that you use for health of of pretty much everything right. physical things sure yeah. physical things and so a single data point a temperature data point is useless mm-hmm. generally no. what you want is you want to have a trend you want to see how that thing behaves right, and right. how on how the the temperature develops like vibration data obviously a single data point it helps you nothing. You want right. deltas. You, you want deltas and you also, ultimately, you want to have um, a trend. You want to have an average. Yeah. You want to yeah. see the you know, behavior of over time. A stream of data. Yeah. So, discrete events are very different from these series events. And it also causes you to have a different architectural approach to those. Sure. With discrete events, you... Uh, sorry, let's, let's go to the data series first. The data series has context. Mm-hmm. It comes from a certain light bulb. Mm-hmm. And it's time bound mm-hmm. typically so you want to have a series that's ordered by time mm-hmm. and then they're all interrelated yeah if you want to do analysis you need to go and pull them into a process that can go and keep state it can go and have a time window yep. and then you can go and calculate over that time window which means you need to go and pull that data towards you yeah and that is what event hubs does event hubs gives you and Kafka does that too. Mm-hmm. Event Hubs gives you a tape drive pattern effectively. You can push the stuff and, and it's a tape drive that you can write to and read from at the same time. So it's, uh, you know, but from the read perspective. People listening, what's a tape drive? <laughs> uh, can you hold that thought right there? We need to pause for just a minute to hear a word from our sponsors. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at JetBrains. Hey, how often do you profile memory usage in your .NET apps? What if you could automate memory usage checks so that they're executed every time you commit a change? You can actually do that with Dot Memory Unit from JetBrains. Dot Memory Unit is a free unit testing framework for monitoring .NET memory usage. You write unit tests that check your code for all kinds of memory issues and then run the tests on your machine or in a continuous integration server like TeamCity or VSTS, just like you do with regular unit tests. You can track how much memory is allocated, check memory for objects of a specific type to prevent memory leaks, or compare several memory snapshots in a unit test to see if memory usage is creeping up. Learn more and download dot memory unit from jetbrains.netrocks.com or just search for a package called dot memory unit on the NuGet gallery. And you're listening to .NET Rocks. Richard here, hanging out with Carl and Clemens. We're in London at ProgNet, talking a little bit about all the messaging, uh, all the ways. And you mentioned just before the break, Kafka. And I'll include a link to it because it's in the Azure Marketplace. Why would I be interested in this? Like, what does this give that I don't get out of all of the various hub options that are already in Azure? Event Hubs is does effectively the same that Kafka does. Okay. The difference is really in the protocol. Oh, all right. Okay. So this um, is about being uh, adaptive to existing systems that are yeah. already depending on Kafka. 
Kafka is a Apache foundation, I think. Right? Yes. Yeah. So if you if you have a lift and shift application that you want to bring into Azure and you are depending on Kafka and that proprietary protocol that it uses, yep. then use that. We've, so here's this thing you can add in and now you're eating Kafka messages no problem. Yes. You can bring them into the hub and yeah, so what we've done, what we've done very clearly is we've been, we've committed to open standards. Yep. And for us, the send gesture into a service bus or event hubs is the same because we use AMKP as the standard protocol for both. Mm-hmm. And consuming is also an AMKP gesture from, uh, on event hubs. Mm-hmm. And the gesture is effectively the same from, from receiving to service bus. Right. Just, okay. just some f- extra filter thing where we have that all completely documented with Kafka. You're kind of depending on the, this very specific Kafka protocol that's okay. there. And if so, if, with that depends. See, and you're saying AMQP as in advanced messaging querying protocol. Yes, the yeah. AMQP 1.0 protocol is that what right. we use, and we also obviously support HTTP. Well, and you've been part of helping yes. work on that specification uh, yes. too. Yes. So you were talking about the two different kinds of events. Uh, the, the data series mm-hmm. event lends itself well to event hubs. Correct. So let's talk about the static. Yeah, so the, the discrete, events discrete events are different because they occur less frequently also because they are not dependent on each other so you don't need to have a you know you don't need to have a stream you don't need to look at the event before it and after it to make sense out of it so they lend themselves to a different handling right so if you have, so you have a device and the device raises an alert and right. it's a very specific one then you will want to have an alert handler that de- deals with that specific event mm-hmm. is that a service hub thing i would do then that's a grid scenario okay so and I said device, it could be anything. Yeah. Right? It, device is a very open term these days. Yes. And, but, okay, so let's let's use the back-end thing. You have a sales support application. In the sales support application, you have a discrete thing happening. And let's say that is new lead created. Right. So that's a clearly distinct event. It's a state change inside of that app. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you turn that into an event you raise into the event grid. Mm-hmm. You can react on this. And this may happen, you know, depending on how busy your company is. Sure. Uh, once every hour or could happen, you know, once a day. Right. And let's say you have a tactical application, a tactical extension for your app, mm-hmm. for that sales lead app, where you want every new sales lead that you have in to be invited to a conference that's happening in two weeks. Right. So you're sort of kicking off a workflow of what does that conference invitation look like? Yes. So with the with event grid now, you can go and create a handler. You can create an Azure function. You can create a logic app. Right. Mm-hmm. And you can hook that up right into that event that you publish out of your app. Nice. Yeah. And it will be called when that sales lead event is fired, but it's a push, which means if it's an Azure function, you have this tactical extension to your application, sitting there as an Azure function costing you nothing. Yeah, unless it's until needed. Until it's read, exactly. uh, until it's executed. Mm. So if that happens once or twice a day, you pay for two executions. Right. But you don't have to have a service running that runs all the time, that pulls on a queue, that right. listens to an event stream. Mm. You don't need to do any of those. And it's very targeted because they're, they're singular events. So you can go in and, and filter by the type of event. And you can do, we have some further filtering capabilities that you can use yeah. to really home in on a specific event that you're kind of interested in. Sure. I'm just thinking about this from a manual point of view, right? You've, you've, you're an organization, you're going to run an, an event. Like I said, two weeks from now, we're doing this mm-hmm. event. I'd like any new leads that come in, any sales that get made. I want mm-hmm. all those people on that list. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now you, you tell an assistant, this is your job now. And so it's like every afternoon, they're going through checking to see have we signed up any new people did what yes. sales came through have they already been added to the list like mm-hmm. you spend money on a person trying to sort all that data out yes or 
you know, plugging into this event model. That's not very Cody either. It's just mm-hmm. this yeah. little drop-in workflow so that the moment you you, you engage, it works. And it's yes. very timely. You know, somebody yeah. makes an order, you, order confirmation comes in an email, and right after that is this invite. Hey, why don't you be part of this thing? Yes. Like, I, yeah. it's a better business and cost-effective. So so what Dan will have explained is in the previous show that you should listen to is, first, is being the triggers that you can do on a blob, right? right? So upload a file, you trigger on a blob, right. and then you call a function, the function downloads the blob. If it's a JPEG file, you have a function that recodes it and drops five different sizes on in a different directory. Yeah, yeah. Automated. Awesome. Easy. Right. Yeah. Super easy. And that's these are these discrete events which you handle very differently. So yeah, because right. we have these these serverless infrastructures now, yep. where we have these these infrastructures who listen for you and where you don't pay for the listening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where you deploy a function into that infrastructure which does all the listening for you and you don't pay until it executes, we have now made this special new thing this is now the not service bus thing be, prior this would be would have been a, a service bus topics right. job which is like swat and a fly with a buick right yeah yeah <laughs> so these discrete events you you now can go and and subscribe to them and activate that code whenever it happens and that yields a very nice extensibility model for the system and the mm. system being two things a think of event grid as a eventing tier that we put under the Azure platform. Mm. So you don't subscribe on event grid. You actually walk up to storage when you go and want to subscribe. You subscribe to an event from the storage container. So event grid is actually getting out of the way completely. Right. Yeah. But for your own applications, if you want to write the custom topics, anything that is one of these discrete events, a discrete state change in your application, you can mm. go and now publish an event out of, mm-hmm. and you can go and hook into that event. And that's a suddenly a natural extension mechanism. So you have a... And and you should be noted that those can be in completely separate applications. Totally different. They can mm-hmm. be in other data center because we just push out to an HTTPS endpoint. Right. right. So it so you have you can think of it as a core of your application. That's what the application focuses on as a day-to-day thing. Mm-hmm. And then you can go in and basically put extensions on the side of that. Super, super easy. Yeah. And so the storage system doesn't do conversion of JPEGs. No. But right. your function that you're hooking into it now does conversion of JPEGs. Right. Mm. So you're extending the capabilities of the storage system. And that's that's a way you can go and look yeah. at it. Right. So that's super powerful. But that also motivates. So this distinction between discrete events and series of events, that motivates why we have event hubs and now event grid. Mm-hmm. Right. I get it. And then we have these intents, which, we, which I put on the side. And that's why we have service bus because service bus remains the Swiss army knife. Like if those two things don't fit, Right. Service bus but is always to drop the, the, the fallback. Yeah. Mm. It's always the safety that you always use for, for all other cases. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now. It must be that happy time again. Yep. It's time to filter out all the discrete events raised today when the humor level went above one laugh per hour. And here's the result. <laughs> I think my message queue is empty. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's actually time to give away a D experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. 
Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. And check out their DevExtreme React grid, built from the ground up to fully support all the cool features that come with React, like the virtual DOM and state controllers like Redux. It supports master detail, sorting, grouping, paging, and editing. You can check it out and test it for free from GitHub. And learn more and download your free 30-day trial of DevExpress Universal at devexpress.com slash superhero. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, guys, is Alexander Rosenberg. That's nice. Congratulations, Alex. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. And Alexander just won the D-Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from our friends at DevExpress, just by signing up for the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know how to do that, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. Clemens, it's your turn. You've done this before. If you had $5,000 technology spending money, let's go shopping. What are you buying? Oh, wow. I, I'm i going to pick camera gear for you because you always want better pictures of airplanes. Well, you did airplane stuff. Before, see, I, I, would, uh, 5, 000, I would probably want to see whether I can get a... Um, from the boneyard, a tour of the boneyard. Uh, no, 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 I did p tours of the boneyard, yeah. but uh, whether I could get a, uh, I want to have a, I want to have a B fifty two instrument panel for oh, my, I see. for my, uh, for my uh, office. That build, would be that would be great thing. The backsplash of your desk as a as a B fifty two just just on now just on the wall. Hook some of those dials up gauges to up. real things, <laughs> like you know, like from Azure Event Hubs, for example. Yeah, that, I, that would be that would be pretty awesome. But that's yes, powering the dash, powering mm. the dashboard. But it's got these, you know, for this. Does that count as technology? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> it's got these. It's got these sets of of you know eight different sets of gauges for. The engine For readings all the engines, and all, yeah. so it's this massive. The old TF thirty three. The uh, the um, the most fabulous museum of flight in Seattle. Mm -hmm. Very fabulous. Has a B fifty two G that they are um, now. They just started renovating it, uh, restoring it. Right. It's been sitting outside on, at Painfield in Everett for a long time. Hmm. And um, so now they're painting it. Then they're going to take it apart and uh, truck it down to Main Museum where they're setting up a site. How much are they going to put it in the museum? Like just the cockpit or the? No, they have the, the whole thing. They're going to put the whole plane together inside the building. No, not inside the building. So they have a special space. So they built this pavilion, aviation pavilion, mm -hmm. which is a large lot with a roof now on, right. on top of it. And right behind that, they have a special space where they're going to put that. And they 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 can't put it indoors. Because based on arms limitation treaties, mm. all the intact B-52s need to be visible outside. Interesting. Yeah. Of course, yes. right? That's part of, part of the... That's why it, that, that's why it had, had to sit on, at Painfield outside the whole time. To be visible. And, and, and so, the Air Force flew it in and then cut all the cables so they couldn't fly it anymore. Right. So, wow. the museum had to pay for the last, whatever, eight years they had to, or 10 years, they had to go and pay for that slot on the main on the, field because right. their own site was not big not enough for, for that it. thing. Well, yeah. I remember, wow. you know, one of the things in the treaty, one of the treaties, I can't remember which one it was, was that they actually were getting rid of B-52s and they would lay them out in the boneyard and they would take these big 
shears, mm -hmm. cut the wings off, yep. lay them beside the plane in a particular pattern so that when the Russian satellites went over top, they could have pictures of this is a dissembled plane. They, they'd still sit there. If you yeah. if you look up Tucson on Google Maps, thank you for saying that, and uh, look, they, they are all still, or many of them are still sitting. My yeah. point was, I had the chance in 2011 to actually get into that plane. Oh, wow. The one at Payne Field. And, wow. uh, and then kind of see that whole dashboard and all that. So I, on my Flickr account, I have some, so some pictures of this. So it's the eight-gauge block, that yes. center, that center engineering piece. block. I just want to know what to get you for Christmas, my friend. Like, yeah, so, <laughs> so, so that, that that's that's the piece that I would love to have. Because it's a, it's a, I'm just pulled up a picture of it because, you know, internet. And it's a big piece. Like, that's a lot. They, yes. and they each have a separate firelight. So there's four, fire, eight firelights there. And yeah, it'd be interesting. Of course, that whole panel is pretty large, right? Yeah, they, the, uh, the, in the Museum of Flight in the Red Barn upstairs, they have uh, one of those panels yeah. sitting there. In, wow. the, in the B-52 exhibit. So, that, so that's something... How would be to get that to Germany? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. But that's the... Like, if you come... When you come in my, into my home office, from which I do most of my work, mm -hmm. um, you would not be able to tell them a computer person. It's all... This is all it's just, all aircraft. It's wow. all airplanes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, a number of times you and I have gone back and forth while you're touring something or other and argued various aircraft because you know the angles I care about too, right? Yeah. You know, boundary, uh, boundary plate flow areas and the, the details of what make an airplane an airplane. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I'm trying to figure out if we've actually covered all of the hub bus options here. So the, the IoT hub, certainly the very wide, simple scaling event handlers. We've talked about event grid a bunch of times. Uh, certainly service bus as the catch-all, this is the master tool then. Mm. Azure event hubs, Azure notification hubs. So did we have we really explored those two? So event hubs is, is you know, well, we talked about you know, yeah. the, the Kafka and, right. oh, sorry. And that's, that stream. falls into the event hub. Event hubs is really like, that's what I talked about as serious. That's default all event hubs. Like if you right. have log style information, if you have readings from systems, then event hubs is the way to go. If you have, you know, data from, from all kinds of different, different systems, um, like in gaming, right. you know, what happens on the multiplayer map, things like this, like right. any, anything that's contextual data you want to go and analyze in bulk, that's all event hubs. And that's why our current, we, we currently do, um, 5.1 trillion events, operations per week. Wow. Wow. Event that's a lot hubs. Of events. And that's so it's used and it's used across a number of, of industries for all kinds of, and it's all telemetry that's coming in. So I kind of think for most people listening to the show, like you probably want event hubs when you talk about those essential messages moving out like that's Yes. That's, so let, let's, let's, let's. Well, 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 wait a minute now. Now, how does IoT hub and event hub work? Do they work together as IoT they work, hub? They work together. So mm -hmm. IoT hub is the, the sucking up of the data. And queuing it to event hubs. Is that so how it think works? about so so IoT Hub is a very specialized service that is for attaching devices and device gateways mm. into the cloud. Right. And and when I say devices, I mean typically bespoke devices that are not phones or tablets or yeah. like common information technology devices, but stuff that lives out in the world. Right. Cyber physical systems, as they say yeah, today, yeah, yeah. cars. Gosh. And um, so that's very specialized for that. So there. And where does it go after it goes into the yeah, IoT some, hub? Yeah, some aspects of that. So some uh, some of that data that comes in is serious event data. Mm. So that goes into Blance in IoT Hub, and IoT Hub has a compatible endpoint that looks like Event Hub. So it's, for all intents and purposes, it's an Event Hub. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Then there's other data that comes out of the devices, which has more is more discrete right. character, and then they have IoT Hub routes that can go and then spew that out into, let's say, a service bus queue. 
Right. Okay. So you can go in and then catch it up from there. Mm. And service bus then offering up the transactionality, the multi-stage. Yeah. Like right. Those more complex capabilities. Yes. And then so, if you have data-based, you know, analysis-based triggers, then you would maybe raise an event and or call an Azure function from that. Yes, you can. Mm. But let's let's explore that, that, that like the distinction a little bit more. Sure. So IoT Hub is specific for these. IoT, that's why it's called that way. So it's mm -hmm. like an Azure Hub that's got an IoT face on it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You can think of it, but it also has bidirectional capabilities. So it's really special for mm. those kinds of devices. Event Hub is a more generic foundational capability that applies to a much broader set of use cases. It. Sure. it applies to that, but it also applies to very many other things, mm -hmm. gaming, finance, anything you yeah. like. All these log streams. And, and it's why we have, mm. as I said, 5.1 trillion transactions. Yeah, clearly people agree with you. Is a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Service Bus has uh, roughly 700 billion transactions per month. Okay. So that's, okay. you see the difference is that Service Bus is a little bit heavier weight, I would right. say, mm -hmm. and, and for interactions. Mm -hmm. Notification Hubs is a service that we built that's specialized in a way where we needed to have pops up fan out through other people's messaging systems. Ah, okay. Uh, namely Apple's notification system, mm -hmm. Google's cloud messaging for Android, right. to uh, Kindle and to Baidu, where we basically do push notification distribution right. wow. into all of those. So there the challenge was, like the, the last Olympic Games were in Sochi. And yep. so they built an app where they want to allow people to know exactly when an event ended and what the result of that was and all this. So they ended up having 25 million apps that subscribed um, for these notifications. And so they could send one message and then we would make sure that we could go and replicate that w that one message as fast as we could and then push it out through 25 million distinct channels. Wow. Or distinct channels with many different devices, different protocols too. Yes. Wow. So they're yeah, pumping exactly. out one message and just have an architectural demand for this is where it needs to go. Here are Correct. the subscribers. Go. That's powerful. And you guys took all the weight yeah. on that. Yeah. And so that's a, that's a yet another completely different pattern, which is sure. a different pups up engine because yeah. it also needs to target different things. And then the, the, the last one and the, the bit odd one is it's the Azure Relay service. Okay. And all of the all of the other ones that we talked about are are datagram oriented. Right. A datagram mm. is a set of bytes that yeah. that's clearly finite. Right. And a stream is stream I want to keep an is ongoing. open connection and I'm yes, just going to continue correct. to send yes. well, send and receive too. Send and receive, right? yeah. It's a very common scenario specifically with SaaS applications that you have small and medium businesses which are using a service but they have like their businesses on site, mm. tax accountants, uh, lawyers, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, medical clinics of all sorts, uh, point of sale, restaurants, uh, all of these, mm. where you want to, from the SaaS application, want to have some integration where you can call that on-site app mm. and you want to ask it something so you can go and make a decision and tell something to your application. So you need to, you can't wait. Like you get right. a request and you walk over there, you go and get some information and you show that up to the, the client that sits on your mobile gateway. Let's put it this way. Yeah. The relay allows you to bridge into that app, no matter where it lives, with a application level socket connection. We we have a new feature yeah. called hybrid connections that allows you to make a web socket. And then we have logic apps, which has an on-premises data gateway. Yep. Mm -hmm. And there's the app service, which has the hybrid connection manager. And both of those allow either tunneling web service requests through this, or you can go and do a database connection to a uh, SQL server or Oracle database. Mm. So you can go and reach into other, you know, out of the cloud environments and the relay is facilitating that through NATs and firewalls and we deal with transition through the proxies and, and yeah, all that. Sounds very signal R. Signal R for stream. Signal yeah, so signal R for stream. But I was about to say WCF. Yeah, yeah. 
Yes, but it's the reverse. It's really the 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 reverse direction. We allow you to put a, a, up a service listener from anywhere, mm-hmm. and we ex- you expose that service listener onto the client. And the relay is literally the oldest feature of Azure. Right. Wow. We we made the first public preview of that available on May thirty first, two thousand and six. Wow. <laughs> And I remember thinking about, you know, this is when we were first talking about Azure, we were talking about the challenges of between data center, between organization, WCF messaging, mm-hmm. getting through NATs and firewalls yes. and, you know, all of those restrictions. And it was so hard to go point to point. Like you, you had to have IT involved and they were negotiated sockets and so forth. All of a sudden this relay, the fact that I, we'll both agree to talk to the cloud. Yes. The cloud will either facilitate the transaction itself or facilitate the connection for the transaction. And it's so, mm. so this literally started as an incubation in the WCF team. Right. And we still have a WCF variant of that. Yep. Um, that's very super popular mm-hmm. because no matter how many people are um, not liking it, <laughs> <laughs> it still is in the enterprise landscape. Sure. Yeah. Many developers pick up WCF because it does what it does. It does that well. Yes. And if you are staying on the on the straight path of saying you know, just make a service contract and yeah, we demand transactional integrity. Yeah. We want end to end control. We want rollback. Yeah, then it's good enough. And yes, you can go and and shoot yourself in the foot, both feet, mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. easily by going into the into the Netherlands of. Uh, of the inner of, of the, the configuration not, nonsense. Yeah. And it, not, we love the Netherlands, please. Dutch, don't write us. That's not what we meant. I think no, I meant the nether, nether Netherlands. Re- nether regions. The nether regions. The nether regions, sorry. Yeah, I, I meant that. You can get it. You get far enough under the hood of WCF, you will never come back, right? Yes. Like it is the endless force. Yes. Yeah, I, yeah. I, live, I, live, uh, I live 10 minutes from the Dutch border, so I hope they don't take that. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah. So for that, the relay still has a WCF binding, sure. and it's make it super easy. Because uh, the, the opposite of that is you do everything as a you know, through a web transaction and, and now you're trying to do your own transactional integrity. Like, mm-hmm. It's, it, it's this game where I've got the beast that is WCF yeah. and this ultra lightweight, we're just going to do it with rest kind of mindset. Right. And it's like, but I need rollback. Yeah. It's yeah, like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Welcome to the beast, my yeah, friend. Yeah. And you need some queuing and yeah. you need all that other stuff. So, but the new relay is now hybrid connections and that's a super lightweight WebSocket based. You don't need anything hmm. handshake. Um, you can do that super easily with Node and, and with JavaScript out of the browser, even if you want to. Nice. There are no requirements. The protocol took a long time to have the minimal set of gestures. Right. So you can go and create this bi-directional socket, WebSocket bridges, which are now very friendly to either put some text protocol on top yeah, of, yeah. Yeah. Um, or you go and, and create binary streams. And then all the other things that are not mentioned, so Logic Apps and also the, the Hybrid Connection Manager, they basically layer on top and give you a virtualized TCP connection. Now, it goes without saying, and I just want you to confirm it, that all of these things are using HTTP and can be therefore used HTTPS just with a bit flip, right? I mean, we can do everything you're talking about here securely. Is that true? Uh, th- we do secure by default. We don't even yeah. have a non-HTTPS option for this, any of these this things. This is one thing I really love about Azure lately. If you create a new website on Azure, right. and you know, you just go to HTTPS, whatever that website is, and it just works. Yes. yes. And, and we're not far away from, and HTTP doesn't work. Right, right. Yes. Like it's no, you're yeah. required to be secure all the time. Yeah. Google's busy sending out messages right now to yeah. unsecure sites, saying to HTTP only sites, going. Yeah. By the way, 
you know, you're basically going to get, we'll still search, reference you, but when you they click on you, we're going to give them a warning that you're yeah. not secure. Yeah. And, and rightfully so. Yeah, because it's time. The certs are free. Mm. It's time. I got to fix run ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, but so we look at this these these services that we have as a fleet. Yep. Relay is is kind of the odd one because it's not a because it's not a, a datagram service, but it's a foundation for other capabilities sure. that are like logic apps layers on top that then moves datagrams across it. And uh, we'll, we'll we also have some other integrations in mind coming that will go and write on top of that. So that's a it's a basic build block but then you have the other the other services you know event grid for discrete event distribution mm. event hub for serious for serious event series you have service bus as the universal thing and you have the highly specialized services sure. mm. iot hub and notification hubs and that's kind of a, a family of capabilities that we have and we're not quite done yet no. we th i think because what we find from customers is there's always something that else there's always right. another special case right. it's got to get large enough that it's worth building a scale dimension yeah well, that's, sure. that's exactly. a good question i mean at what point do you not make an edge case a feature of an existing system and actually spin it off to its own when it will rub the system in a way that it will impact the the performance of right. of of the mainline use cases so we used to be all service bus and features of service bus. So sure. there was service bus, queues and topics, and the relay, and, and and yeah. event hubs, and it was all in one thing. The problem that we had and that we solved in our quest to get, like we're running all the services, so event hubs, for instance, runs at about five nines of reliability right, right. now. Hmm. 99.999%. Better than the internet. Which is pretty remarkable. Yeah, yeah that's amazing. And to get there, we had to make the workloads as uniform as we could make them. Sure. Which means you cannot allow one aspect of the service to start taking capacity away from the other part of the service. So we had to break them apart and we made service bus its own thing, relays its own thing, and and event hubs is the same th is its right. own thing. And event grid is the same is its own thing. So mm -hmm. the criterion for for when you make a different service is is when you need to have a different architecture. Yeah. Right. And, and for as I explained, the event grid is a very different architecture from event what sure, event hub yeah, isn't yeah. from what service bus isn't from what all the other things are. But and in the different services tiers, like we have service bus standard versus service bus premium. Right. Premium gives you predictable performance, mm -hmm. and you don't pay per transaction, but you pay for re capacity reserve inside of the system. Right. That is so different. And so the pricing model is different, but also the underlying architecture is different. Sure. The service bus premium is a completely different underlying architecture and implementation than service bus standard, even though they look exactly alike. From, from a coding perspective. From, yeah, from so, your programming it's, model. It's the SLA change, right? It's like The SLA change is what, what makes it. So you pay more for, for premium, sure. certainly because you pay for the capacities yeah, initially. You're building a reservation. Yeah. Yes, but you get a very predictable performance because that, capacity the memory and the cpu and and messaging is th is the funny thing it's not an io bound service right. in, in service bus it's really the, the, it's a lot of work that needs to be and needs to happen that is reserved for you and that's not the true that's not the true in standard in service sure. bus standard is all shared capacity yep. super is all multi tenant and if someone gets super busy then it can affect you mm -hmm. and that's completely impossible in premium right and that's why what i love is you build it running on standard and then when you 
see that you have SLA issues, right? whatever service yes. you're delivering, or you're anticipating there, them. There's a product you could move to Absolutely. without any recoding. It's yes. literally an account chain. And, mm. and that was something that was purely driven out of customer demand. need and, yeah. and demand feedback because we had, in some cases, um, very large customers in e-commerce for Black Friday. We had to go and just make a cluster, take all the namespaces that they had, just corral them into that one cluster so right. that they, they could have a uniform workload that we could go and watch that. Mm. And mm. that was... I can see that you guys have this advantage of being able to see all of these workloads as a whole. Like I know when you have a, need a new product, when you can see that your existing product is straining under the comprehensive workload it's given yes. to you. Right. Not any given customer's problems, yes. all customers together problems. That's right. So guys, it's, it's the advantage of the cloud that you get that view. Do mm -hmm. you ever intervene and, and you know see what a customer is doing, see the kind of data that they're putting up and they've, they've used the wrong service? Yes. And you say, you know, you really need to do this. Yes, we do. It rarely happens that an external customer does it, but internal Microsoft teams have done that. Where we have uh, famous, famously in the uh, development of uh, Halo 4, they've started doing um, some load tests against Service Bus. It's, event hubs didn't exist at that point, so right. they didn't. On a Saturday, they did load tests against Service Bus in a very particular way, mm. and that cluster just keeled over. Pinned it. <laughs> You're kind of proud when you pull that off. Too, right? <laughs> Tipping over a rack is a good day. <laughs> and uh, so we were like, <laughs> How did that happen? Where does that come from? And so we looked that up and we're like, okay. <laughs> this is Don't do that. <laughs> so we, we, I literally called, we called the Halo people up right. and yeah. said, whatever you're doing, stop. <laughs> um, Bad. Bad devs. I can imagine too, because you have so many different products in Azure and services and some things come out and they're new and shiny and they have... You know, like I'm thinking Cosmos DB, for example, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you can pay to have the kind of latency that you typically get in a messaging service, and yet it's a database, but you have triggers. So you could use that as a sort of a messaging service, an expensive messaging service, and, you know, but perfectly happy to do that. Yeah. But, but you know, that's not what it's for. Yeah. We're learning out of all those things. Like incidents like that don't happen twice. No. Uh, because <laughs> we, we learn from them. Sure. The question is, do they, should they use a different service as a service communicated in a different way, or it's like, you need to code this differently? Yeah. So there's two things that happens in that particular case, or mm. two learnings out of this. Like, mm. first... Service bus is not the right pipe for that kind of problem. Right. Yeah. That was one of the motivations for, for making event hubs, actually. Right. So, mm -hmm. so the gaming scenario drove event hubs. Yep. And then the other one was that they, the, their usage surfaced a bug in our, um, in our system mm -hmm. that was, it's distributed systems. Bugs are weird. It's subtle. Yeah. It, yeah. it was a, it was a perf bug. That was just amplified by this, and then and then caused ripple effects in the whole in the right. whole system. So that yeah, yeah, that cascading tip, right? Like, yeah, so that's something that we ended up fixing. Yeah, I mean, the service bus the service bus standard the, the storage engine is a little prone to these, or has been a little prone to these uh, issues. So that's something that we then then fixed. So we took two learnings out of that episode, mm -hmm. and that was first. Uh, we got to go and, and fix that bug. Right. Yeah. And the, the other one was, we actually really need to have a different service for these scenarios. Right. So Halo 4 was the motivation, one of the core motivations to go into. And clearly, many more people have jumped onto it yeah. because it does serve a particular style that's, yeah. that mm. uh, is yeah, of architecture that's useful. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Trillions of transactions. Mm -hmm. well, I don't know about you, Richard, but I feel completely 
clear about I'm all of these things. I'm remarkably enlightened. Yeah. Like, I feel really good about, because we look at this going, my concern is, what's what was legacy in this? Like, mm. oh, you guys just building new stuff and leaving the old stuff behind for the folks that used to use right. it. But I come out of this going, I don't feel like anything's legacy. No, no it all works no, Even the relay service, which is arguably the oldest thing, is still important, has a purpose, is the correct choice on a Greenfield app today, mm. given certain requirements. Yes, we, have, we only have retired one feature so far hmm. really and that was the message buffers which were the the little in memory queues that we had in be before we had a queue right mm. that lived al alongside the relay that's the only thing we really retired yeah uh, the rest is all additive and they're all complementary and and with the event groups and specifically we make them all really come together like if an idle queue goes from from having no messages to Oh, suddenly there's a message. It will raise the grid event right. so that you can go and have an, a serverless thing, then walk up to the queue, drain the queue, do all the work, and then go to sleep again. Right. Love it. So, Brilliant. so we'll go and combine those things and we'll keep, we'll keep them growing if we have a new thing mm -hmm. that generally. And you'll see it before we will as customers. Yeah. You yeah. as the as the cloud owner see this broader picture of yes. everybody's utilization to see where new features essentially or new products essentially emerge. Yeah. Mm. So if we from our team announce a new feature mm -hmm. or announce a new service, that does generally not mean that we're superseding, retiring anything. anything. It's yeah. just it's just a it's literally a new use case and we're innovating. Uh, we're it's not great. following anybody. Right. And it's we based have, on need. You know, it, because anything. it's based on need. You're not speculating at all. You're looking at what people are Absolutely. doing and finding a way. And it occurs to me, you've been here for the whole thing, my friend. Like, yep. We've known each other a long time. Since the I remember you joining Microsoft and you wanted to work on this. Like, you've been here the whole way. I have shipped seven of these things. Wow. I remember famously talking to you at a PDC. It was probably 2002, 2001, right around the beginning of .NET. And we were trying to get web services to return collections right and clemens said no don't do that use arrays it's like yeah duh duh right <laughs> it's just one of those simple things yeah that, I, uh, I started i actually started in the .NET community my first public talk was at tech at europe 2001 yeah and it was about uh, soap yep right so I've been a messenger. messenger I mean, of the other stuff before that, You've been but uh, actually, no, two thousand. It was two thousand. Mm. Tech year two thousand, and that was a talk about soap. Right after Dunbox gave a soap keynote, so that room in was full. Eight hundred fifty. I had eight hundred fifty people in my first talk. Nice. <laughs> no <Wow>. pressure. <laughs> no yeah, pressure. Yeah. <laughs> Clemens has been enlightening to to the max. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. I will be happily coming back in. Whenever, whenever we ship the next thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been, I mean, it was a year and a half this time around, my friend. Yeah. Since January 2016. But yeah. clearly there was plenty to talk about. You know, yes. It's always that question. It's like, how many times do you get to talk about messaging? Well, let's tell you, messaging evolves. Yeah. Like, stuff's yes, going it on. It is. It's it great. Thanks again, Clemens. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com 
for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a dog.